great to see you this morning. Welcome. Thanks for coming to church. Thanks for being here. And um, I'm expecting this morning that something of what I share, uh, something of the worship, something of communion uh, would impact you. Um, I'm not a teacher, uh, even though the Bible says elders should be able to teach. Um, sometimes teachers are able to to really um, just open the Word of God, and uh, I hope to do that. But probably this morning, I'd like to operate, perhaps by God's grace, more in my gift, which is slightly more prophetic than it is teacher-pastor, maybe apostolic, I don't know. But um, just I want to ask this question. Um, under the, the, the fast, we've just had a fast, which has been good, and um, I trust um, you've participated Perhaps if you haven't and you'd like to next week, some of us could join you in fasting again um, and encourage you to do that. Um, but the question that I want to ask of this, you this morning is, what does the Lord require of us? One of the things that I guess we are all uh, lovers of Jesus are asking, Lord, what do you require of me? What do you want to do? And I want to speak to you about four things. What does the Lord require of us? I want to speak to you about a prophetic word given to the church, which confirms what I've been feeling for weeks. I want to speak to you about a a boy king that brought significant revival, and I want to speak to you about visitations or revival. So point number one, what what does God require of us? Old Testament, New Testament, just uh, give me two things that you think that the Lord requires of you, and I'm going to ask you to tell your neighbor, just what comes to mind instantly, what is the Lord, what two things does the Lord require of you? Tell your neighbor, your friend, your enemy, I'm not sure if they're sitting next to you, um, what, what two things? So then could you just come forward and share it, please? What are the two things you believe God requires of you and of us and of Israel and the church? Well, you could go to three, I guess. You could go to five. You could go to ten. But um, one of the things that I want to speak about is that we, that the number one thing that we are to do is to love God <laughs> to, with all our hearts, with everything we have, with our soul, our mind, our strength, our body, our emotions, with everything I have. Uh, the big question that we ask each other as spouses, well, well, do you love me? You know, it's, it's, it's uh, parents will ask children, like, do you love your mom? Do you love your dad? One of the things we want to know, and God is unambiguous in this. He says, I want you to love me with, with everything you, ha- you have. I want you to love me with your family. I want you to love me with your friends. Your friendships should show and you should exhibit within your relationships your love for me in your marriage it's a big one, and uh, one of the things is, you say you love me, uh, show me in your marriage how much you love me, amen? And sometimes I think what's helped Kati and I is that we have decided to put Jesus at the center. We are in ourselves are not wonderful people. We are not more special than you. We don't have some magic potion we go and drink or mix in our food. It's just that we have learned to love God in our marriage, Okay? In our work, how do you love God in your work? You might say, Nick, I live in a, work in a hectic place. How do you love God in your finances, with your time, with your children? How do you love God with your blessings? 
We, we tend to run to God with our brokenness, our sickness. Lord, we pray because somebody's in trouble. Uh, somebody's got an illness. Uh, my, my business is collapsing. My marriage is collapsing. But he says, I want you to love me in your blessings. Amen. We tend to say, well, Lord, thanks for the blessing, but just move aside. And he says, I believe, love me with your blessings. Big thing that. Love me with your blessings. Have you, got a, have you got lots of finances? Love me. Have you got a wonderful house? Love me. Have you got a good marriage? Love me with all your blessings. Love me in your pain. Don't hate me. Um, <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind. That basically means with the, a Hebrew is not a Greek. He doesn't separate his life. Greeks were famous for compartmentalizing their lives. Hebrews were famous for saying one life, one God, amen, one existence. And so he uses bridal love to describe his love for us. For your maker is your husband. In fact, he's saying, I so love you and I want you to so love me that I will equate my love for you like a, like a bridal love. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And by the way, the God of the, all the earth, the universe and everything, he is your husband. Imagine saying that. Imagine Israel saying to the nations, our God, the maker of the heavens and the earth, is our husband. They think, what? What are you guys smoking? Let me read Ezekiel 8 to, um, for you out of the New King James Version. This is the Lord speaking. He says, when I passed by you again and looked upon you, I see. Remember, God is a God who sees you. Always God is the one who, when you get saved, you realize, gee, God looked at me. And I looked upon you. Indeed, your time was the time of love. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so your time, he says to Israel, his beloved, his bride, your time of love had come. And so I spread my wing over you. I canopied you. I covered you. Isn't that beautiful? I covered your nakedness, your shame, your sin. Mike, you spoke about communion. He said, I covered you. One of the great things that the Islamic nations are coming to terms with is they carry an endless guilt, an endless shame. And they have to try and be good. And then when they hear about um, Issa, they think, the one who covers my sin, the one who bled and died and shed his blood that was poured out, he bled out. How did Jesus die? He probably bled out. There was no blood left. He poured out his blood. And so I covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore on earth and I entered into a covenant with you. And you became mine. I bought you with my blood says the Lord, then I washed you in water. Here's the sanctification. This is the bridal language of God speaking to um, Israel. Now we understand in the New Testament, I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off all your blood, which means the blood of brokenness, the blood of Adam, the blood of sin. I washed you and I anointed you with oil. I poured out my spirit. I clothed you and in embroidered cloth. What does that mean? He begins to speak about and gave you sandals of leather or badger skin. He said, I began to put um, new shoes on you. I clothed you with the finest embroidered cloth, with fine linen, and I covered you with silk. In other words, you, you're, you're covering the robe of righteousness I put upon you. I mean, how cool is that? Somebody say amen. Can you, can you say this is good? To me, it's amazing. This impacts me. This teaches me to be a lover of God. It teaches me to 
You know, so, sometimes all I want Kati to do is to receive my love. In fact, probably the most sacred moments we have is when I pour out my love to my wife. I pour it out to her. And, and what she is to do, she, she isn't to say, well, I love you, Nick, I love you. But there comes a time when I pour out my words, my embrace, my intimacy with her. And language begins to well up. It's the language of the spirit. Let me get back to the thing. I adorn you with ornaments, which is gifts. God gives you gifts, all sorts of gifts. Put bracelets on your wrist, on your wrist, and a chain on your neck, and I put a jewel on your, in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown upon your head. Isn't that amazing? You're a princess. You're mine. You're royalty. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was a fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry. Now he begins to give you the finest flour, he says, honey and oil. In other words, he begins to feed you with a manna from heaven. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went among the nations because of your beauty. The church of Jesus is beautiful. Amen. That's why you never, ever go to a church, whether they six people meeting under a tree, little old grannies and an old dusty pastor with an old dusty robe. That is the beauty of God. Amen. All the way to a beautiful congregation like this and way beyond. Your nations, your beauty, it was perfect through my splendor, which I bestowed on you, says the Lord. Yo. I just thought I'd read that quickly, but as I read that, it's just like, love him because he loves you. Amen. Come on, church. We need to be beautified. We need to be loved. Have you ever met somebody that's just not loved? Somebody that, 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 that's married but has no love. She, she's estranged. She limps through life. Amen. A church that's not loved, a Christian that's not loved, is not the design of Jesus. Point number two, obey him. Then he took Exodus 24, the book of the covenant, and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. Moses come down from the mountain and he's saying, listen, this is amazing. The guy's face is shining. God has written his law with his finger on the tablets and we will obey. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant. He has made with you in accordance with the words. And they say, no, we will obey. In the New Testament, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. First love, then obey. I know I love you because I'm obeying your commands. This is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. Love you and obey you. Love you and obey you. So we need to, so do France and England have been walking with God. I don't know since they were at varsity. We need to audit, audit, audit. How's my love for you? Nah, haven't expressed my love for you. Haven't sat my brain spoken. How's my levels of obedience? Nah. I don't know if it's the Lord or, or the pastor or me. I don't know if it's just mind games, but I don't even know how to obey God anymore. Here's a prophetic word that Vicki Sim gave. I had a picture of the congregation attending church. Point number two, attending meetings and having fellowship and sleepwalking, robotic, trance-like. One of its red points or the church in general or the church in the city. The words I got were awake. Step out, step forward, commit, give your all. For some of you, there's been a line in the sand, a line that has been there for a long time, a line you may not even notice anymore. Can't cross it. 
stuck. You've got used to it. It has been there so long. Step over the line. Don't look around. Don't worry about anyone else around you. Don't worry about what anyone else will think. Step out. Step over the line. Eyes up. Eyes on Jesus. The other word was uncomfortable. When we, when we, are, un, when we are comfortable, we become complacent and lazy. That's easy for me to understand. There are some things in our lives that we are comfortable with, that I am comfortable with. God says you are complacent in your comfort. Step over the line. These things are too easy. God wants us to be uncomfortable, to, <laughs> to move out from our comfort zone so that he can use us and he can be glorified. <clears throat> One of the things that we struggle with is there's often an invisible circle around us. There's often an invisible ceiling over us. An invisible boundary, a fence, an unseen barrier within which we live, we think, we operate. It's an obvious limitation or curtailment to others, but sometimes not to yourself. It's like a circle around my life. And the moment I try and break out, I hit the perimeter of the circle, and I think, oh, it's too hard, and I bounce back. And so life is about living, you know, people say boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I understand that. But there's also a side where I just keep bouncing off my depression or my struggles or my fears or my personality or my history, and I can't pierce the veil. I can't break out. I don't want to assume there are no restrictions in my life. I assume that there are restrictions. The question is, what are they, Lord, and how can we break them? So the word captured, besieged. In the Bible, they laid siege. They, you know, state capture, famous South African word. I think it was started in South Africa. What is state capture? People say, like, what's load shedding? That means we've got no electricity. What's state capture? It means somebody has surrounded our governments and is holding them, incarcerating them with corruption and all sorts of obscene things. The ongoing battle of the Christian is to be free and to stay free, to get free. The devil wants to capture, own, surround you. Famous story, 1 Samuel 2.21, Phineas' wife gave birth. This is uh, Eli's son's wife, Phineas, Eli's son. His wife gave birth. She named the boy Ichabod. Why did she name her son Ichabod? Her husband dies, her brother-in-law dies, her father dies, her father-in-law dies, and she's giving birth and she dies when she's given birth to Ichabod. Because she says, the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God. I don't know if you can process this. But God's ark, which was in the tabernacle, was captured by the Philistines. I still can't understand how God would even allow foreigners to touch that ark. But the fact is, brothers and sisters, that sobers you and I, that you can be captured I can be captured, a church can be captured and surrounded. There's one thing about a soldier that's in battle and he's on his tank or in his helicopter or with his whatever, Kalashnikov like we see in Ukraine and he's shooting and he's RPG rocket launching and he's, he's doing, and, and he's this formidable man or woman certainly today with helmets and night sights and they're just marching through the land and they're shooting and they're overcoming and then suddenly when they're captured, what happens? They get stripped of everything. They get stripped of all their, of their uniform of battle. 
They normally get kicked and spat on and slapped and blindfolded, and they, they take everything off them, and they tie their legs. And what was for a moment ago a formidable warrior becomes a captured babbling, should you be here? No, we shouldn't be here. What are you doing? In our, you know, so, and suddenly this magnificent trained soldier becomes a captured, give me the word I'm looking for, prisoner, fearful, ready to die, ready to be executed. Let my people go. They can worship me. They lived for 430 years in, in Egypt, and they could not worship God. He did not reveal himself to them. For 430 years, they were slaves, and they could not worship God. He hadn't given the law yet. They were incarcerated. Let my people go that they will worship me. Why was it so hard to lead Israel? To quote my friend T.D. Jakes, why was it so difficult to lead the people of Israel? I looked at their journey. I don't have time to go. It's a fascinating journey. It's the greatest story in the history of humanity, many theologians would say. The story of the miraculous exodus. Moses had a problem leading this bunch of people, his promised covenant people. They carried the promises of God across the desert into this place called Canaan. Why? They had motion sickness. You know what motion sickness is? Motion sickness, you normally call it seasickness. I know somebody that doesn't matter if they travel in a car, a plane, certainly a boat, get terribly sick. The moment they move, the car or the plane or the boat moves. I've had bad seasickness once. But so bad that I had to lie on those little boats in the, in the, it was at night in the sea, and I had to look at the stars, but I was as sick as a dog. And all I wanted to do was to go back to the land. They hadn't moved for 430 years. And suddenly God arrives, there's a visitation, there's wonders, and he said, come with me. And the moment they began to move to be a, become a pilgrim people, they got sick. To quote T.D. Jakes, into the unknown into the unfamiliar, yes, it was difficult, yes, it was uncertain, yes, there were perceived dangers, but the promised land would be from here, not that far away, and they would simply enter the promised land. We all have fears, we all have boundaries. We were in Cape Town last year, and we went because my daughter's a cold water swimmer, and I used to be a cold water swimmer, and I said to them, I am not swimming. I am not swimming in 10 degrees of water, don't even try. And you know, when, when this boy gets like fuss about something, don't go near him. And they said, ooh, okay, just hold your hat on. It's, you don't have to swim. And then I, I, I put my feet into 10 degrees of water, and they began to sting. I thought, what are these people crazy swimming in this water? And I was standing there, and my feet were freezing and stinging. And then they stung less, and I went a little bit deeper. And I went a little bit deeper, and I got to my knees. And then I got just to my thighs, and I thought, oh, no further. And this lady, about a middle-aged lady, walked past and just went, do, 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 I thought, what's wrong with me? Why am I such a baby? So I said to Kati, check this lady. She just, she wasn't swimming. She wasn't doing like all the young people. She just walked in. And so I thought, 
no, if she can, I can. And I, and I said, and we eventually waddled in, waddled in, froze, hands stung, brain froze. She said, I said, madam, how do you do this? She says, just relax. Just go. She's got to break the circle. Got to pierce through. Come to Zimbabwe on mission. Ah! <laughs> to go to Zimbabwe, no ways. Come to Skokheim. You know, I have a problem with people. Come to Skokheim because you, God could visit you there. He could give you a life-changing word. Amen? Go on mission. What is the circle around you? We all have fears. We all have boundaries. Who will partner? If somebody comes to you and says, listen, I want to start a life group. Could you come and be my right-hand lady? Nah. Say yes. Say yes. Say yes to God. Amen? Leadership is when I hit the circle, the boundary, the restriction, the fear, and I break through. There is a very small distance between the, between the boundary and between the promised land. Amen? It was just the Jordan River. Oftentimes the Lord says, you, you, your, your victory is at hand. Your breakthrough is at hand. All you, it's not so far. Amen? Just step over. I have this picture of all these 20 young men in the front yard. I don't have time. And I want them to make a circle. I want one person to go in there. And those 20 strong young men are to stop that, young, that other young person from getting through. That's the story of our lives. Father, break the barriers. Break the restrictions. Break the mindset. Motion sickness means didn't we say to you, they said in Exodus 14, they haven't even crossed the Red Sea. Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Numbers 14, now they, right, they're about to cross over. If only we had died in Egypt. Motion sickness. God says, I want you to journey with me. I want you to travel with me. I've been stuck for 430 years. I, my forefather was stuck. I'm like my grandfather, my great-grandfather. I'm like my mother. We just drink in our family. We get blottoed. That's what we do. We just repeat the circles and the cycles. And God says, break out. Why is the Lord bring us into the land only to let us fall by the sword? Better to go back to Egypt. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The church is doing that. They're choosing their own leaders and going back to where God has called us out of. Don't do it. Even our friend Joshua, once he had taken, he crossed over. He took out Jericho. Then the first defeat, what does he say? Joshua. And Joshua said, O sovereign Lord, Joshua 7, 7, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay in our little circle because in the circle of the desert where they wandered from place to place, all we know about that 40 years is kind of Korah's rebellion, but it's a nameless, faceless, eventless 39 years of just walking around. And even the beautiful, mercurial Joshua says, would that we had gone back into our circle. You know what the fast has called us to? Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Something in your marriage needs to break through. Something in your finances. Something in your mind. I will not let you go, Lord. 
Psalm 84. Just, I don't have time. It's a beautiful psalm. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. The sparrow has a place. I long to be in your house. He goes off and he says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. You, not in me. I don't have any strength. Sometimes people come to me and say, such a wonderful leader. I'm not a good leader. I'm not meant to be a good leader. I'm meant to hide myself in Jesus and make sure I'm walking in step with him and I'm speaking his words and seeing what he sees and hears what he hears. Can you say amen? So we're not looking for wonderful leaders. We're looking for godly men and women who know how to tuck themselves into Jesus. That's what we're looking for, godly men and women. In fact, prophetic leadership has everything to do with where Lord left, left. What happened, what happened in Egypt? Moses. <laughs> you know, because remember when they marched out, they marched out boldly in front of the Egyptians while the Egyptians were burying their, their firstborn. They, they were like, check this, bro. There was victory. And then suddenly they buried their dead and they said, we're going to kill you guys. And God said to Moses, Moses, he says, this is a, I'm, I'm, we hemmed in. Stretch out your hand. Seas part. They walked through. Stretch out your hand over your sea. Stretch out your hand. I say, Lord, I stretch my hand out over the restriction of my life. My, my addictions, my rubbish. I st- stretch out your hand. Amen. And so you set their hearts on pilgrimage. Who keep going as they pass through the valley of sins, they make it a place of springs. They go from out the circle, strength to strength to strength. Devil says, Go back, go back. Sometimes he gets us three steps back. Terry Fusher, he said, Pull the line. I'm not going back there. I might have even put a foot back. I've got one foot in the circle, one foot out. His divine power, one of Red Point's favorite scriptures. Can I just read this to you? Slow down, Nick. 2 Peter 1.3, just if you're making notes. His divine power has given us everything we need for life, job, if you're a nurse, if you're a businessman, if you're a teacher, if you're having kids, for life and godliness. Through our, for life and godliness. So here it is. Life and godliness, through our knowledge of him, I need to know who you are. Simone had a picture of, of, of us tilting our faces, her son and her, looking at, her, um, at his dad, Jason, looking up, that we actually look at you. We look at you. I look at circumstances through our knowledge of who you are, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises. So in the scriptures, you have great and precious promises. So we, we threw away the promise box because remember we say, pull out a little promise and we chuck that out. But there are great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Why is there so much depression in your family? It just repeats, it cycles, it, it, it what's the word I'm looking for? It germinates. Carry on. To escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. John Tyson, God's book of promises, it's a book of destiny. It opens doors to radically change your, your future. 
It shapes who you marry. That happened to me. I said, Lord, I commit into your hands who I marry. Many young people in this church today. Would you commit through the words, Lord, give me my spouse. It fills you with life. It heals you. It heals you. I couldn't walk. I had such a, a bad back. I spent three weeks in bed. I was due for the operating theater. And little by little, day by day, I can hit a ball, a golf ball further than I should be able to. Because I've experienced even bodily healing, even mental healing. Amen? Teaching. It teaches you. Power to overcome evil. The word. Wisdom for business. The highest level of leadership. Joy. Victory. Eternal life. It's Jesus revealed. He's the key to eternal life. To open doors to the most holy place. correct you, to give you an inheritance, to pray for, it teaches you to pray for your children. Point number three, break the circle. Break the circle, guys. I don't know a single person who doesn't have a, a circle around them, me included. Even the front row, you know this very polished front row? They got circles. They got barriers. We suffer from motion sickness. Point number three, visitations of God. Outpourings, renewals. We've been sensing God during the fastest moving. Have a look at Josiah. 2 Chronicles 34 and 2 Kings 22. I don't have time to, I may, I'll just look at it. Josiah was, a, was a, a boy king. He was eight years old. He was the youngest king. I think his father was 18 and his grandfather was 12. When they, so they were a family who became kings very young, okay? This young king, he seeks God. Now his father and his grandfather are, I want to use the right word, they are despicable kings of Israel. Can I say that again? His father and his grandfather do abominable things. In fact, his grandfather not only has shrine, the temple prostitutes, you know the, the temple, you know the, 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 the temple of God? Some of the rooms are used for prostitution. So bad are his father and his grandfather, just those two, Josiah, Ammon, and Hezekiah, so bad that his grandfather institutes child sacrifice. <laughs> and and they, 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 they desecrate Israel. In fact, the Bible says, you're going to read the story, that they are worse than the Canaanite nations. In fact, the Canaanite nations thought, Yo, you, guys have, you guys are something unbelievable. Eight years old. By the time he's 16, he's gone to war against the priests of Baal, the Ashtoreth the high places. This young 16-year-old, who for some reason gets a revelation that there's something bad in this nation. As a young eight-year-old king, by the time he's 16, he literally is not wrestling with these idle things. He is, he is smashing them to powder, and he is destroying them. I just want to read one. He said he sought the Lord. Uh, He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem 
of its high places, astropoles, carved idols, cast images. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. Remember Gideon said, can I do this at night because I'm scared of what my father's peers will say. This young guy, 16, he says, I'm going to war. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the astropoles, the idols and the images. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. So those that he had sacrificed to them, the priest he killed. And then he takes this powder and he um, scatters it over them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And so he purged Judah and Jerusalem in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, etc., etc. He tore down, verse 7 of 2 Chronicles 34. He tore down the altars and the astropoles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all these. It just goes on and on. He then says, he clears the land. Then he says, This temple has not been touched for 250 years. It's in ruins. There's money that had been given. Go and find the money that the priest took and begin to repair the temple. They just left the temple. And while they're looking for finding the money that's been hidden in the temple, they find the Torah. They say the book of Deuteronomy. And so so they begin to read. They get the Torah, which hasn't been read for a long time. Historians give you different things. And they begin to read the book of Deuteronomy to this young king. Let's say he's in his 20s now. And as he hears the word of God being read, he shreds his clothes. He tears his clothes. He repents before God. He said, what's wrong with us that we've desecrated the word of God and we haven't read it? You don't have to have spiritual parents to make a difference. You don't have to come from some pastor's house or your mommy and daddy prayed for you. This young king, by the time he's 26, has brought incredible reform. That he comes up and everyone gathers and they begin to read from this law. And God says, I'm good. And God begins to visit his people. He doesn't repent Josiah, you know what the world is saying? You can be a Christian as long as it's private. You can go to church, just shut up about it. You can, you can go to Skokham, shut up about it. So the world is saying our religion says you can have your religion, but our religion says private. The devil says as long as your faith is private, I'm happy. But what we should do is, is actually Josiah said private, nothing public. Tell people. What's the day today? Are they? 5th of March. I went to church today. <laughs> Shut up. It was amazing. There's some crazy guy spoke about circles and, uh, and, and young kings, child kings, and, and tell the people. Just fasted. Not, not so that you, ah, we've just been on a fast. I felt the Lord speak to me. Tell the people. Go, and go to the street corners. Amen. From the hilltops, sing it. What is it from? From the rooftops, Etels. Get the words right, Nick. The, you see the devil? Shh. America, the West, uh, post-Christianity. You, you can serve God, but you shut up. Go and proclaim amongst the nations. Go and proclaim in the hearing. 
that actually God is good. Go and tell them, man, I was bad. Oh, Jesus saved me. I'm changed. We're going on a church camp. Oh, those funny things. Now, this is going to be amazing. Go and tell your family. There's a young man who brought revival. Obey and love. Get out of the circle. Reinstitute in your life that which needs to be. And fourthly, I want to talk to you for a moment about some of the revivals I've just looked at. Just what, what stood out to me. The Welsh revival of 1904. What is a revival? A revival is a visitation of the Spirit. A revival can be people saved. A revival can be all sorts of things. A good word is when the Holy Spirit is poured out and there's a visitation. Visitations through the ages have taken very different looks and forms. Just bear with me. Number one, Welsh Revival 1904, Evan Roberts. He prayed for 13 years, kind of left school at 12. He was a coal miner. And uh, he begins kind of a 17-year journey of prayer. And he has this famous prayer. Does anybody know what it is? What is Evan Roberts' famous prayer? Huh? Welsh Revival, one of the great revivals. He has one prayer. Anybody? Don't you know, Merv? Yes, Merv, I thought you were a revivalist. Can anybody help Mervin? The learned row, the second row, anybody? Most unusual words. They're Welsh words. Well, what were they, Nick? Bend me, Lord. Bend me, Lord. That was his prayer. He says, Lord, this is not Christianity. This is like a, this is terrible. Bend me. So he began to pray. Young man, coal miner, began to experience the love of God in the most in profound ways. God began to meet him for a period of three to four months from one to four for about in the morning. He would wake up. And people said, no, you were in a trance. He said, I was not in a trance. God began to wake him up as he began to say, bend me, Lord. He said, I'm, I'm asking you, God, to visit us. Began to have these incredible, and he said, during that time, God changed his nature. When he left, he went, then he, because he, he got so excited, he went to some kind of seminary thing, and then he said, I can't do this, and he left. And he went back to his church, and he said to his pastor, God is moving, God is visiting me. And the pastor said, and he said, can I meet? He said, not in the church. You can meet in the hall attached to the church, some little rinky-dink hall, not in the church. So what he did is he went to the hall. He invited some young people and he closed the door. And this was his prayer. Holy Spirit, please come for the sake of Jesus Christ. That was his prayer. Holy Spirit, please come for the sake of Jesus Christ. Close the door. Close the door. Okay, you guys here, not a lot of people, few young people. Holy Spirit, come for the sake of Jesus Christ. His message was put away unconfessed sin, which is what Josiah did. Put away doubtful thoughts. Obey the Holy Spirit, which is what we spoke about. And confess Christ publicly. How's that? What was the theme song of the Welsh Revival? Here is love, vast as the ocean. Help me, tools. Loving kindness as a flood. 
began to sing it in, 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 in Welsh. This young lady, I think her name was Betty Davis or something. I wrote it down. When she began to sing in the fields, when people gathered under the trees, Welsh men, coal miners, became so emotional. They became so um, broken with a sense of guilt that they had to leave weeping these meetings. Isn't that beautiful? A beautiful story of a dance club. Now the, 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 the Spirit of God is, is coming down. He's visiting. There's this dance club or this disco, you'd call it today, or waxies. I don't know what it is or whatever it is. And um, yeah, that could have been the Hebridean revival, I forget. And they run to church. In fact, late at night, the Spirit of God falls in that dance club, rush to church, and um, this, this, uh, this lady, she's, uh, she's from the University of Aberdeen. She rushes up to the front. She throws herself in the pulpit, and she shouts out at the top of her voice, is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? Three times, is there mercy for me? It was recorded during the revival as a profound prayer and a moment. Isn't that wonderful? There was a man that was standing trial. He was standing trial, and uh, the defense lawyers were, were defending him, and, and the Spirit of God fell in the courtroom. And the man, accused man said, stop defending me, I am guilty. Stop defending me, I must confess to the, to the jury, I am guilty. Stop defending me, Mr. Defense Lawyer. How cool is that? He was so convicted. The jury begins to break out in hymns. Welsh Revival. You can go and read up about it. Hebrides Revival. Beautiful story of, of 300 people. They, the Hebrides, just a bit north in the islands. They hear about, but the church is closed, but God is, and they get to a constable, but they hear the constable is God-fearing. So they, about 300, kneel outside the police station, and the constable prays, and, and actually they begin to experience revival outside the police station. One guy's an alcoholic. His mother says, oh, Willie, oh, Willie. He's an, he's an alcoholic. He stinks of alcohol. Alcohol has been broken over his life. God was everywhere in the land. Started off by two ladies, Peggy and Christine Smith, one blind, one with severe arthritis. They began to pray in the barn. They just prayed these old ladies. Who's the prayers in the church? Who will pray? And then the revival seemed to stop a bit, so they... They, they, they called them back and they said, we need to, we need, we need, we need, we need to pray some more. This revival is ebbing out. And, and um, there's a blacksmith told, he eventually goes to the barn with the Peggy and, and uh, Christine Smith and um, Duncan Campbell, the revivalist. And he says this, this blacksmith, strong, big man. He says this, Lord, your reputation is at stake. Your reputation is at stake. Lord, your reputation, and the people think, whoa, there's not a kind of prayer you want to pray. Yeah, bro, you're going to get into trouble with the Lord. God so thundered down, they said. That's, that happened at about one or two in the morning. That when God arrived in his visitation or his revival in that barn where they prayed, the, the, old, the, the oldies, the lights began to go in the city, in the villages. These are rudimentary villages. They, they are very rudimentary and and then people came out with their chairs at one and two in the morning. And what happens? They just start preaching at two in the morning. Azusa Street, my last one. 
Started by who? William Seymour, black man. Got shot here with blind in one eye. <laughs> Looks strange. But he just began to pray and he began to call out to God. Azusa Street Revival, they say 600 million people. They say it's a revival that has had the biggest impact in, an, in known revivals. That throughout the world, South Africa, throughout the world, mil- Pentecostalism, it, it was known as the Acts 2 revival. People began to speak in other tongues. They, they, twice they called the fire, the fire department. Why? Because they said fire fell. <laughs> twice they called the... In fact, they had to stop meeting in the home, so they met in an old stable or something. Like broken. They say it's the only revival where they sense the Shekinah of God in a cloud on the floor, not above, on the floor where kids were playing in this like misty Shekinah. Would you stand with me, please? Tools. So what are you hoping for this morning? Nick, you may ask. What, what are you hoping will happen this morning? I mean, I mean, the whole of yesterday, the whole day, I just been saying, Lord, what, what, other than the paddle, what? And I, I felt God say, Nick, you can't, I will come the way I will come. Is that okay? But, what he's looking for here this morning is, is open hearts. Because, you see, he's looking for people here this morning. I don't know who. I don't know who. But he's looking for a Christine and Peggy. He's looking for a Seymour, a Mr. Seymour. He's looking for a Duncan Campbell. He's looking for an Evan Roberts. This man, Evan Roberts... He just said, Lord, I'm, I'm not letting you go. Do you mind if I pray and then we're going to sing a song? Millions upon millions upon billions will, will just go down the river of life. But some will get out and say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm asking you to reveal yourself to me. I'm asking you to use me. I'm asking you for love and obedience. I'm asking you to break me out of the circle that has held me for so many years. Thank you for Josiah, this young boy king, who didn't wrestle with sin. He destroyed it. He fought it. He didn't bargain with sin. He didn't create a truce. He went against it. He fought it, put to death. Colossians 3. 
the things that war against you. Don't negotiate with them. Don't wrestle with them. Put them to death. Father, we are asking you for your visitation unprescribed. Won't you um, fall upon us, visit us, stir us? Won't you speak a word into our heart this morning? Well, God will instruct some of you what to do next. He'll, he'll speak to you specifically. Can't prescribe that. Can't tell you what that is. But trusting that God will visit, stir, release. Some of you will continue to fast. For some of you, you will go and seek God. And what I'm saying to you is don't force it. Don't manufacture anything. And prescribe to God his visitation. Seek him that he may be found. Our job is to, is to, is to cry. The spirit and the bride say, come. Row, rent the heavens and come down. Can I pray over us, Lord? Rent the heavens and come down. Rent the heavens, Lord. We, we, we are hungry for more. We're interested in you, Jesus. We're interested in breaking out. We're interested, Lord, in love and obedience. We want to journey. We, we're not going to get motion sickness. We want to pilgrim with you. We want to go to Zion, Lord. We want to get to the other side. We don't want to withdraw. We want to mature now, Lord, and, and, and walk in into inheritance. Can you say amen, church? Can you just pray with me? Just so that you know this, the church meetings, they would close the doors and they would pray. And then he would, he would say, okay, now you carry on. He would go to the next town. And they would have the, but they, they prayed and they asked God. So let's just pray for a moment. I know it may be uncomfortable for you to pray, but, but we rush off and we want to eat and we want to get busy with the day and finish the church. But they lingered for hours. They couldn't stop the meetings. They, they just couldn't stop them. It's happening now in, in, uh, in America. They, well, it's ended, but they, they just couldn't stop the meetings. Lord, we're asking you to come. If you want to come forward, you come forward. Uh, we're going to sing a, a, a revival song. If you want to come forward, come. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't want to pull teeth, but invite you to the front just to come out of your circle. Maybe you say, I'm the guy. I've been stuck. Come out. Be free. Rejoice. Lift your hands. Lift your arms. Don't be afraid. The least in the room, the most uneducated, the most ineloquent. Father, won't you visit your people by your spirit? Take a hold of somebody and bring them forward. Somebody that you know is struggling, bring them, come forward. For a greater expectation, it means that you're hungry. 